0: I'd like to begin this morning by sharing with you two important characteristics of God himself as the true and living God, self-existing, ever-existing. And the first characteristic of would emphasize is that God is a God of purpose. The God revealed in Christ Jesus, his son, the God who is made known to us us through the scriptures, is a God of purpose. And by purpose I mean the true and living God has a determined intention to carry out his will, and the desire of his heart. So the God whom we love and serve is a God who is determined to carry out his will for which he created all things as revealed in Revelation 4.11. God's will is what God wants and God's good pleasure is the desire of God's heart and based on his will and good pleasure God formed his purpose his determined intent. Nothing and no one will stop him. Even opposition on various levels in the spiritual realm from the satanic kingdom, from the world system, and those, whether in the church or not, love the world, the whole world system ultimately will pass away. God will obtain what is in his heart. He chose us in eternity past to be holy, Ephesians 1.4. He predestinated us unto sonship to have the life and position of the Son for his expression, as mentioned in Ephesians 1.5. We have no choice in this matter. The sovereign God, for his purpose chose us, and predestinated us. Then in the time appointed, in the way appointed, we were born, and eventually the word of the gospel reached us, and for some reason we believed, we received, we called on the name of the Lord, and we were saved. Since then, in various degrees, we consecrate ourselves to the Lord. In varying degrees, we seek him day by day. And to a certain variety of extents, we live and practice the church life. But the fact remains, God, who is a God of purpose, will accomplish what he intends with every chosen, predestinated, redeemed, regenerated human being. It's only a matter of when. And the when will be determined by us. Not by God. It will be determined by us in the sense that we will decide to what extent we will live for God's purpose, to what extent we will open our being to him and live a life of consecration. But ultimately, God's purpose will prevail. God's purpose is to have In the universe, a corporate expression of himself in glory in his son as the firstborn son and a multitude of believers conformed to the image of this firstborn son. This will be the corporate expression of the triune God of glory. And when this is ultimately manifested, there will be universal praise in the universe for such a glorious expression of God. Then I would mention a second characteristic of God, which is closely related to the first, I mentioned, a God of purpose. God is a God of resurrection he is called the living God which of course he is life is actually God himself I remember Brother Lee saying something during the summer training in 1974 a training he could not give because of a need for eye surgery that Set him aside, but he came in a wheelchair on the Lord's Day morning, and a recorded word was pray uh, was played for us. And he began by saying, "Life is mysterious, for life is God Himself." But I want to take a step beyond the attribute of life, to emphasize God is a God of resurrection. Now I want to connect purpose with resurrection. The goal that God has in Christ, in his universal work throughout time and space, is to bring forth the church as the body of Christ, consummating in the new Jerusalem the corporate wife of the redeeming God. So God from eternity past through time and the ages in time is moving relentlessly toward his goal. And in each age, the age before law, the age of the law, now the age of the church, which is soon coming to an end, God has a goal. Then in the coming age, the kingdom, God will consummate his goal by the end. Then there will be the new heaven and the new earth with the eternal, glorious, delightful consummation of God's eternal purpose. The holy city, which is a person who is the wife of the redeeming God and the redeeming God with his counterpart will enjoy a blissful married life in newness and freshness forever and ever. But in this age, the precursor or the preliminary stage of that is the church as the body of Christ in its reality. And the goal that God has in this age is to build up the body of Christ through the local churches as the procedure. The body and the New Jerusalem have an outstanding characteristic. The body is an organism absolutely constituted with the resurrection life of Christ. That's the nature of the body. Just as the nature of your human physical body is the human life. It's an organism characterized by the life in that organism. The body of Christ, which is mystical, yet real, invisible, yet it's being expressed, is an organism absolutely in resurrection. And the ultimate consummation, the new Jerusalem, a corporate person, the wife of the redeeming God, is the totality, the ultimate consummation of resurrection. But when God created the universe, when he created the earth, when he created all kinds of life forms, when he created human beings, there was just the natural created life. That was the starting point. It's in my heart to try to impress upon you but I look to the spirit of reality to actually do that It is very helpful for us to realize that whether we know it or not each one of us the life of each one of us is being is moving in a certain direction. This God of purpose and the God of resurrection, the determined God to carry out his purpose when he came into us, came into us with his purpose, his will, his heart's desire, and his determined intention. So, the course, the direction of our life personally with the Lord is to gradually experience Christ in his resurrection life and little by little to be inwardly transferred from the natural realm into resurrection. This will be the course of every believer. Those who have received mercy, who are enlightened, and who are consecrated, and eventually receive the blessing of knowing this truth, we'll see a little bit later, will pursue this direction. They may not understand all the things that take place in their human life. None of us do. But there will be the sense we are on course. And those who allow the Lord to pursue this direction of resurrection in them, they will be the overcomers in this age they will obtain the resurrection of reward and they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Those who are not aware of this or are somewhat aware of this uh, are rather lukewarm regarding it or they choose to try to live two lives then they waste a lot of time. And they may live with a certain presumption, surely I'm going to be around for a very long time, I can settle certain matters later, but none of us knows when the end might come. And so basically they waste their human life and their Christian life And some Christians have believed, I wouldn't say it's a lie, the preachers aren't deliberately lying, they just are under an error, a mistake, that when someone dies, all problems are solved. You go to heaven and all the problems are solved, no matter what kind of person you were. But the fact is when a believer dies, she or he does not go to heaven but goes to paradise, the delightful part of Hades. And then at the resurrection, the Lord continues where you left off. If you haven't been brought into resurrection, You now must continue that during the age of the kingdom. We're dealing with God. A God of determined intent. And now concerning the church. A local church, because it's composed of human beings just like us who are in the physical realm, but inwardly, in our spirit, have been regenerated and have the divine life. That is the procedure. The goal of God in the church is to bring forth the body of Christ as an organism constituted with resurrection life. This is his direction with the whole church, with all the churches, with the entire recovery. And mysterious things can happen. For instance, the Lord knew that in the 1920s he had no way to carry out his purpose in the United States or North America or Europe. No way. It was impenetrable. So he went to China with virgin soil, and gained believers like Watchman Nee and Brother Lee and accomplished an extraordinary work there with hundreds of local churches. Then, after the election of 1948, Brother Nee, with acute discernment, and able to rightly interpret the significance of the world situation, called all of his co workers together and said, We are finished. The result of this election indicates the United States will not become involved with preserving the present government. We have to be prepared to sacrifice. But we will send Brother Li out. So there was a devastating loss. But this released the power of resurrection life. Brother Ni is in prison, but his books are spreading all over the earth. And how many of us have been helped by them? And now, in the mainland of China, there are millions of believers. Because the relentless God is operating in resurrection in our personal life and in our corporate life. And it has been a great help to me, although I'm the same as you, I still have my own whys. Why is this happening? Why is this prayer not being answered? It's settled in my being what my personal course is. I'm resurrection bound. And I don't plan on waiting for another thousand years to be brought into resurrection. I'm pursuing resurrection right now as I'm talking to you. (laughs) This is the goal. And the burden... I wouldn't say it weighs on me, it is just constantly in me concerning the reality of the body of Christ, would be brought forth through our corporate experience of Christ in his resurrection life. That's the title of the outline, we'll read it in about half an hour, and so the message will not be that long about 70, 75 minutes, 75 minutes max. I I realize for some of you that is really, really long and so I'm not going to be the least bit bothered if you take what I call a holy nap. It's okay. (laughs) I'm not going to take it personally. I've been on both ends of this. Okay. So I need to share something concerning resurrection itself. When the Lord Jesus was on earth as the Son of Man, he was the complete God and a perfect human being. But he was restricted by his physical body. So he, has the, he as the entire person could not be everywhere at the same time. As God, as God, he is omnipresent. But as Jesus, he was limited by space and time. But when he was resurrected and his body was glorified, And he was designated the firstborn son of God in resurrection. And he became the life-giving spirit. Resurrection power broke through all limitations. He is no longer limited by space and time. That is why, and I mean what I'm saying, the resurrected Christ, is present right now with us in this room. I could address him, just say, Lord Jesus, we're so happy to meet with you and to remember you and to proclaim your death. We recognize you are in the center. You have the first place. We've never seen you, but we love you. We've never seen you, but we believe in you. You are here. Wherever you would go in the universe, if you could go anywhere, he would be there. So resurrection is the life power that breaks through all limitations. Then I would point out again, it's something that we, all of us know on, on various levels, Resurrection is Christ himself as a person. And the chapter that reveals Christ himself as resurrection also brings to light the basic hindrance to our experience of Christ as resurrection. And this hindrance is an Every local church. It's limiting almost every situation. When you contact someone or you contact a church where this hindrance is gone, your whole being rejoices. So two sisters, Martha and Mary, sent a certain message to Jesus. Lazarus, whom you love is sick. I consider that an appeal to affection. They didn't say Lazarus is sick. You love him, so surely you're going to come running right away, lay your hands on him, and heal him. But once he read that... He told the disciples, "This is not unto death, it's for the glory of God." He stayed where he was. Then after a certain period of time, he said, "I'm going to go. Now the hindrances starts, not with Martha and Mary, with his own disciples. Now you want to go. This is risky. So here, here's an opinion. We shouldn't go. We should stay here. Then w- one of the disciples with a particular disposition has a kind of martyr view. He says, let us go and die with him. Let's go <laughs> die. And so he comes and then here's Martha full of opinions. If you had come here, if you had only come when we asked you to, our brother wouldn't have died. Your brother will live again. I know. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will not die. Do you believe this? I believe you're the Son of God. One opinion after another. Then she sends for her sisters, says the Savior is calling you. He's not. But opinionated people attribute all kinds of things to other people. They just think it's that way, so the other person must be thinking that way. So then Mary comes, and she offers her version. And eventually, Jesus wept. Now, now they're at the tomb. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And Martha cannot, Keep quiet. She said, It's been four days. He stinks. (laughs) So finally, he gave the command Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth and he gave the command unbind him. So here, this is very human. And we all have this human element, the Lord knows. When we are in a difficult situation like this and someone we love is in peril, we want the Lord to come in and stop it. We want God to be the God of prevention. This is human. And there are times, especially if we're young in the faith, the Lord may be the God of prevention for us. But when he does that, we remain in our natural human life. But when he decides to function as the God of resurrection, I don't know why. He does let certain things happen. I can't explain. And I haven't received from him any explanations yet. But he comes in the power of resurrection. And that is his response to the grief, to the loss, to the sorrow, even to death itself. And he wants to do this everywhere, all the time. In the life of every believer and in the church life of every church. But he is severely hindered by our opinions. I've learned something. This is an illustration. I'm not making an issue of this. When a saint is ill and they have the leading to seek a certain kind of help, I don't express any thought to them. I just say, may the Lord bless the way that you are taking. But some saints will not. They disagree. You shouldn't do that. You should do this. I know of a situation of a sister, the wife of an elder, who died of her cancer that recurred. Because someone prevailed upon her not to get the medical treatment that she was recommended to have, but to try something else. And as a result, she died. So all over the Lord's recovery, because we're a work in progress, is this limitation, just the opinion. The Lord has to stop But what would happen in our own personal life and in our own church life if we could come to the Lord just as we are honestly, honestly, honestly with our feeling and then tell him, Lord, do whatever you will. I'd like to open my being to you and we open our church to you. Do whatever you want to do then he can be the God of resurrection then one other matter I'll mention then I'll go to Paul as a pattern that I think will be encouraging to us then we'll go through the outline everybody knows resurrection will be an event in the future actually every human being will be resurrected. And just a little sidebar, um, whenever a famous atheist dies, uh, I'm not rejoicing that a human being has died in his sins. I'm not rejoicing at that. But I realize, Stephen Hawking, now you know there is a God Because there are no dead atheists. As soon as they die, they meet God. But because they die in their sins, God can only manifest himself to you as holy fire. But when a believer dies, that same God is bliss, delightful enjoyment. So everyone who has died will be resurrected ultimately at the great white throne. And I pointed out already resurrection is a person. But it is also something else. Resurrection is a process that works within us and within the churches as soon as death strikes, but because in our humanity we're suffering very much in our soul, it's not possible for us to be aware of the process of resurrection operating in us. The Lord knows this, but eventually it will emerge from our spirit and we will realize This is a great comfort. As soon as death comes, the process of resurrection begins to operate. And our corporate testimony is death will always lose in the end. Resurrection life will prevail. Here I need to point out that There is a battle going on that began as soon as sin entered the human race and death came in through sin. And that's the battle between life and death in various forms. God is the God of life. God is the God of resurrection. His eternal purpose is fulfilled by the tree of life. The enemy as the opponent of God is contrary to God. God is true, the enemy is a lie. God is life, the enemy is a murderer. God is genuine, the enemy is a deceiver. And so the enemy's weapon to fight against God and his purpose is death. And when so s- since that time God has been operating to remove sin and death from his creation. And I appreciate these verses regarding this in 1 Corinthians 15:25 and 26 referring to Christ reigning, abolishing human rule and authority and reigning in the kingdom. For he must reign until God puts all his enemies under his feet. Death, the last enemy, is being abolished. So death, the last enemy, will not be abolished until the end of the kingdom age. When all the negative things Go to the lake of fire, sin is gone, Satan, the source of sin, is gone, and then and only then will death, the last enemy, be terminated. So, this battle of life and death in our lives personally and in the church life corporately is unend- unending. It doesn't mean you have to always be conscious of this in every moment of the day you're, you're struggling, you're wrestling. And uh, I need to point out something to you in love and in faithfulness. When we were regenerated, the process of resurrection began in our being. And our spirit was enlivened. And this may surprise you, but our spirit is zoe life itself. Romans 8.10, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So our spirit is life. And the resurrected Christ is the life-giving spirit as well as a resurrected God-man with a body. And the life-giving spirit is the essence of resurrection. The life-giving spirit, resurrection, is right now mingled with your regenerated, resurrected human spirit. So your mingled spirit is an organ of resurrection. But here's the enemy's strategy. Is to cause us to be spiritually passive. Passive. And passivity in the spiritual realm equals death. And there's a fundamental principle here that God ordained for created beings that have a will. And that is, because God created us with the capacity to choose, he will only act when we, on our side, make a decision in his favor. He will not act in our lives when we are passive but the enemy is most active when we are spiritually passive. And he wants us to be spiritually passive. So last night, for instance, the Christians in the Bay Area, San Francisco, were living in two different ways. A small number were in a meeting or were streaming a meeting and for a couple hours they exercised their spirit and they know they touched life, they touched resurrection. But others on a Saturday night were living as part of the crooked and perverted generation. That was their choice. That's how they spend their Saturday nights. On Lord's Day morning, I'll give the Lord an hour. Saturday evening is my time. Okay. Then you are spiritually passive. And the issue of whatever you are doing when you are spiritually passive is death. And you will know this. And this is why one of the most... Crucial spiritual practices to have been recovered is the exercise of the spirit. Our spirit is subject to us. It's subject to our will. We can be in the spirit any time we choose. But again, we're all the same. I'm the same as you. When I wake up in the morning, I'm not a hind let loose. I don't spring out of bed in resurrection life (laughs) praising the Lord with my whole being. I usually have to grope to consciousness and then figure out in what time zone am I? Where am I? And then the process begins again to turn my heart to the Lord and exercise the Spirit. And so... We have a pattern. Okay, just regarding this, I just feel to show honor where honor is due. From the first time I visited Taiwan in 1968 until every contact I have there, I'm impressed with a particular characteristic is the strong exercise of the spirits of the saints. That's a pattern to us all. In when we are passive, the enemy will do as much as we can until eventually we react to him. We become so disgusted with him and with where we are. Then we turn. But the Lord is different. You have to understand he will come. He will cherish. He will draw you. But if you're passive, he won't do anything. So I borrowed the verse from Revelation 3. The Lord said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and he with me. This is the Lord knocking. You have to hear his voice and open the door. Let's say the door were open. He would still knock. But if the door is open, the enemy will just come in and go as far as he can. So I know this is a simple matter. It's almost an elementary matter. But it's a life and death matter. We need to learn to exercise the spirit when two parts of our being don't feel like doing it. Our body is tired or it's not feeling well, and our mood is down, and so many things are pressing on us, That's right. So what are you going to do? Wait until a spiritual tide comes in? You're going to waste a day? Waste a week? Wait until the mood changes? Wait until the tide changes? We have the capacity by the grace that's with us to stand against what's going on in our body and in our soul that we will turn to our spirit, and exercise our spirit. And when we do, we touch the Lord. And if someone says, oh, I touched the Lord, I was with the Lord, I'm not doubting that. It's not for me to evaluate that. But there is a criterion. The Lord is resurrection. The Lord is life. If you are contacting him in what is called morning revival, you will touch life you will be enlivened. You will be supplied. You will touch resurrection. But if we just go through things, but we don't sense life, we don't sense resurrection, we haven't touched the Lord. That's why the crucial thing day by day is to contact Him. I look forward to, I hope we meet this dear woman who's cases recorded in Acts who had a flow of blood for 12 years went to all the physicians only got worse but she was determined to do one thing I'm going to touch if I just touch the hem of his garment my brothers and sisters this needs to be recovered in us the wonder of touching the Lord contacting him spirit to spirit Okay, now, something concerning Paul and then we'll go through the outline and I'll be finished by 11.20. That's 26 minutes by my watch and it's working and I can see it and it's right in front of me and I will obey it because that's what's measured out to me. Okay. In Philippians 3, we see Paul's pattern. And in First Timothy 1:16, he tells us that he received mercy to be a pattern to all who believe. And in verse 10, he said, "To know him and the power of his resurrection." I think I was about 20 years old when I read these verses in a fresh way, and I touched for a moment, the power of resurrection. To know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. In Paul's seeking, he wanted to know the Lord and the power of his resurrection. He was not passive, he is actively seeking this. And verse 11 points to the goal of resurrection. Experienced in a personal way, if perhaps I may attain to the out resurrection from the dead. Now, that's an unusual word even in English, out resurrection. What's an out resurrection? Well, it's a literal translation of the Greek. It has a twofold significance. Objectively, <coughs> Paul is saying, All the believers will be resurrected when the Lord comes. The unbelievers will be resurrected after the kingdom. All the believers will be resurrected. But those who are the victors, the overcomers, they will have, you could say, a resurrection with honors. They will be resurrected. Into the kingdom because they finished their course, they went to the Lord in victory. So their resurrection is a category different from the general resurrection. We know from Matthew 25, from that parable, those who pass away, not filled with the Spirit, not transformed, will have to pick up where they left off when they're resurrected. Death doesn't solve any problems. It just postpones the process for a while. So Paul aspired to have a resurrection of the overcomers. But that's not my emphasis this morning. On the subjective personal side, Paul was longing that gradually every part of his being would be brought into Resurrection. Gradually, gradually, that the resurrection life in his spirit would permeate his mind, his emotion, his will, all of his inward parts. Even in, Revol- in Romans 8.11, he would speak of the one who raised Christ Jesus from the dead giving life to his mortal body. The body is not resurrected, but it can be enlivened. And after expressing this, he used a verb twice. And actually, I'm convicted by this verb. Even now, I'm seeking the Lord to what extent I, I, I I experience this. Not that I have already obtained or I'm already perfected, but I pursue. I pursue. May I ask gently? I asked this question of myself quite a while ago. What do you pursue? Can you say to the Lord, person to person, I pursue you, When you pursue something, you are earnestly, energetically seeking that. Let's just say a young man loves a young lady, hopefully it's a brother and a sister, and he pursues her, he's focused, he's determined, he is seeking. But someone who has no feeling for anybody and is kind of nonchalant about marriage, even though he's de- definitely in need of a counterpart, he doesn't pursue anything. He just floats around. How many of us can say that we pursue? Pursue. How focused are we? To what extent does it matter to us that we know Christ and know the power of his resurrection? But I pursue, even if I may lay hold of that for which also I have been laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So the Lord first pursued us. And he came to us. And he is drawing us. But on our part, there needs to be the response, I pursue. Now please don't come to the microphone during the sharing time and say, I consecrate myself to pursue the Lord. That's not a consecration. That is a vow you won't be able to keep for the rest of the week. (laughs) I'm the same as you. I've stopped making promises that I can't keep. But I can say, Lord, I give myself to you. I consecrate myself to you. Train me to pursue you. Cause me to pursue you. I can't do this without you, and actually I can't do it without the body either. I I can't last very long alone. I can only advance in and with the body. And then in verse 14 he mentions, I pursue toward the goal for the prize to which God in Christ Jesus has called me upward. So from the time he was saved, He pursued. And inwardly, I don't want to say too much, but my spirit is praying for all of us. Lord, recover a pursuing spirit among us. In no way do I criticize the young adults where they are. I'm concerned about where many of them are, but I'm not judging them. And neither do I have any desire to go back to the burning early 20s in our life. What is normal is that the older we get humanly and the more we grow spiritually, the more we will pursue the Lord. By the Lord's mercy to me, in both in death and in love, I can testify to you, I've never enjoyed the Lord more than I'm enjoying him now, day by day. I've never pursued him more. But the Lord knows, and I need to be discreet because love covers. I have a helper, I have a counterpart, I have the body. I don't know when my course will end. I'm still hoping for rapture. I believe the Lord wants us to have this living hope. But day by day, every day is a pursuing day. Every day we may advance a little more. Now I read through the outline, not as an afterthought. Uh, I did prepare it but I didn't want to be governed by it when it comes to speaking. I wanted to be directed by the Lord's Spirit. But the outline focuses on Romans, and as I just read it to you with some comments, I believe you may find certain things helpful. Knowing and experiencing Christ in his resurrection life, the book of Romans reveals the intrinsic significance of the resurrection of Christ, the essential meaning of it. God is the one who gives life to the dead. This is God's great power of resurrection. And Abraham had to learn that with Isaac. Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. That is through the manifestation of divinity. And this may be our experience. The Lord comes to you in your situation. He just shines on you. He shines rays of glory into you. And it's so pleasant. And you absorb it. And resurrection life is dispensed. Considering Christ as God, the New Testament tells us that Christ himself rose from the dead. Regarding Christ as man, The New Testament says that God raised him from the dead. See, the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead for our justification, meaning his resurrection was the proof that God accepted his death on our behalf and that all of our sins for which he died have been forgiven and forgotten forever. And now Christ is our righteousness before God. That is why we can approach God in peace. The resurrected Christ is a proof of this. Christ's resurrection proves that God's requirements were satisfied by his death for us, that we are justified by God because of his death, and that in him, the resurrected one, We are accepted before God. May you all have the assurance you can come directly into the Holy of Holies before the glory of God and be accepted by Him because you are in the resurrected Christ right now. By incarnation, Christ put on an element, the human flesh, that had nothing to do with divinity. Oh, oh, wait wait a minute. Okay, two under C. I'm going a little ahead. As the resurrected one, he is in us to live for us. A life that can be justified by God and that it is always acceptable to God. D, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and and of the living. We live to the Lord, and we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. These verses say, none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. Whether we live, we live to the Lord. Whether we die, we die to the Lord. Last night, a dear brother had brief fellowship with me after the meeting, He's saying, I need to go to Japan to be with my father, who's 89. I know his father, a faithful co-worker through whom the Lord opened up the whole country. That he's, in his last days, I need to go there to be with him. He had a stroke alone in his apartment many years ago. He has not been able to speak, but the Lord kept him with us. And I believe our dear brother, is going to finish his course in honor. He'll die to the Lord. I believe he'll obtain the outer resurrection. If it has to happen, it happens in resurrection. It happens to the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. So for Paul in resurrection, the crucial thing was living to the Lord. What happens to me is secondary. The primary matter is that I live to the Lord. No matter what happens to me, I live to the Lord. I am the Lord's. Resurrection produces this. E, Christ was designated the son of God out of the resurrection of the dead. And his resurrection was his birth as God's firstborn son. In the Godhead forever, he's the only begotten son for life. In resurrection, he's the firstborn son with his humanity for propagation. Before his incarnation, Christ already was the son of God, the only begotten son. By incarnation, Christ put on an element, the human flesh, that had nothing to do with divinity. That part of him needed to be sanctified and uplifted by passing through death and resurrection by resurrection his human nature was sanctified, uplifted and transformed. What happened to him as a man will happen to all of us when we are fully in resurrection. That part of his being of him needed to be sanctified and uplifted by passing through death and resurrection. By resurrection his human nature was sanctified, uplifted and transformed. Hence, by resurrection, he was designated the son of God with his humanity. And now as the son of God, he possesses humanity as well as divinity. That resurrection designated him as the son of God in his humanity. If you walk into Starbucks and order whatever you want to get and say, by the way, I am a son of God, (laughs) at the least they will think you are rather strange. But, I doubt if there will be Starbucks during the millennium, but who knows. Uh, You won't have to go around the city that you're ruling over and say, by the way, I'm a son of God. They will say, I know, it's quite obvious, you are designated by resurrection. So outwardly right now we're just ordinary people, but inwardly something is going on And one day resurrection will break through and the whole universe will know we are all glorified sons of God. That's our destiny. For by incarnation, Christ brought God into man. By resurrection, he brought man into God. That is, he brought his humanity into the divine sonship. In this way, the only begotten son of God was made the firstborn son, possessing both divinity and humanity. God is using such a Christ, the firstborn son, as the producer and as the prototype, the model, to produce his many sons. So part of the direction in your being is to sunize you. Romans 8.29 says, we are predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. This is the firstborn son. So the resurrection life is operating in you to conform you to the image of the resurrected Christ. That image will be formed in you. And one advantage of visiting places once a year or every two years is that you can just see and rejoice in the increase of Christ in the saints. So I'm not a politician, I'm not a man pleaser, I don't do things out of fear of man, I have to speak sincerely, but I can assure you, as I look upon you this morning, there is more glory, more Christ among you than there was a year ago, so just keep doing what you're doing, but maybe just pursue a little more ardently, but that's just... um, A little gentle encouragement. F, in resurrection, Christ is the pneumatic Christ, the life-giving spirit. Christ's resurrection was his transfigured into the life-giving spirit in order to enter into the believers. In, In Luke 24, the disciples were afraid when the Lord appeared. They thought they saw a ghost, a specter, a spirit. And the Lord said, look, I have flesh and bones, no blood, flesh and bones. A spirit, meaning like a, an angelic being, does not have flesh and bones. And these were all men, and so they, they need some objective evidence. So he says, you have anything to eat? They gave him some grilled fish, and he ate it. Okay. I don't know how we digested it. I don't know where it came from. But he has a body of flesh and bones. We believe that. But right now as you're sitting there, do you have the sense that a being with flesh and bones is moving inside of you? I've never had that kind of feeling. I mean, How can a being with flesh and bones go from your spirit into your heart? But the Bible clearly says that Christ is in us, that Christ is making his home in our heart, We don't have to interpret this. It just means what it says. Christ is in us. Christ is making his home in us. But how can he be in us? He is in us because in resurrection he's the life-giving spirit. So I know the theologians from the Graduate Theological Union when they hear this are going to challenge this and say, "How, how do you explain this? How do you systematize this? You say Christ has a body of flesh and bones that's glorified and with that he's on the throne. And Christ is a life-giving spirit with that he's in you. How do you reconcile the two? I would say, I don't know. I don't try. There's no commandment. Reconcile the truths in the Bible. I just believe what the Bible says. He has a body of flesh and bones, a glorified body. He's on the throne. He's going to come to the earth visibly, and I hope to be here when He comes. Actually, not here. I hope to come come with Him when He comes. But also He is in us, because He's the Spirit. Let the theologians systematize. I want to experience and enjoy Him along with you. The reality of resurrection is Christ as the life giving spirit. When we receive Christ today, we receive not only the redeeming Christ, but also the life giving Christ. Every morning, the resurrected Christ wants to give you life. Don't be afraid to come to him. Come as you are based on His redeeming blood and let Him enliven you. He's the life-giving Spirit. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to deserve it. Just receive it. Life-giving Spirit. Now, we enjoy the redeeming Christ, the Lamb, and the pneumatic Christ, the spirit. If we know and experience Christ as the pneumatic Christ, we will be brought into resurrection and live in resurrection. That's the process. That's what's going on inwardly in all of us. Whether we are aware of it or not, God is determined he will bring our whole tripod being into resurrection. He will bring the churches into resurrection. He will have the body in resurrection. He will have a bride in resurrection. Nothing can stop him. He may be delayed, but that's part of the plan. But he's looking for the saints in the churches that will simply be open to him, actively exercise their spirit, turn their heart, love him, and say, Lord, today. Advance, grow in me, increase in me, grow in your body, increase in all the saints all over the earth. Roman 2, the book of Romans unveils crucial aspects of the believer's experience of Christ in his resurrection life. A, we believe on God who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. The faith that is accounted to us as righteousness is our believing on God who righteously judged Christ for our sins, righteously put him to death in our place, and righteously raised him from the dead. Now, in gospel preaching and in our own exercise, B and the subpoints is important. If we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord, And believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Although Christ's death has redeemed us, it is his life in resurrection alone that can save us. Only when we believe in the great miracle that God performed in Christ in raising him from the dead, can we be both redeemed and saved Many Christians with a good intent, they say you need to believe that Christ died for your sins. And we do believe that. But Paul's word is not that. He said, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? With the heart, one believes unto salvation. Then we confess So when we encourage a new one to call on the name of the Lord, we're not separating verse 13. Calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. We need to encourage them to believe in your heart. God raised Jesus from the dead. The sanctifying spirit is infusing faith into your heart. You believe in your heart. God raised Jesus from the dead. Now you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. We testify to the whole universe, God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus Christ is Lord. See, after baptism, we become a new person in resurrection and walk in newness of life. Resurrection is not only a future state, it is also a present process of renewing. So I say again, I don't know how these advertisers get my email address and they think I'm, one, I'm interested in all these anti-aging this and that. Stop aging. Be perpetually young. Forget about that. I'm newer now at my age than I was at 30. <laughs> We're getting renewed day by day. Yeah. We're learning to walk in newness of life. I don't need your aging stuff, which doesn't work anyway. You just want my money. You don't care about my health. So I'm deleting you. And I'm just going to enjoy the God of resurrection and walk in newness of life a little more today than yesterday. The element of Christ's resurrection. Okay, Uh, D. Resur- Romans 6.5 says that we will be in the likeness of Christ's resurrection. This refers to the present process of growth in life. So the more life grows in you, the more Christ's resurrection increases in you. And all that God created you to have, all of your capacities, your intelligence, your abilities, he will bring them into resurrection. Because the body doesn't recognize anything natural. You may be a genius. You may have three PhDs. I know a brother who has three PhDs. But he's in resurrection. So he doesn't trust in his PhD triple intellect. And so the body only accepts what's in resurrection. So sometimes I tell the trainees when they come to the training, I said, I realize many of you are highly educated. I don't know if they still give the the SATs. Some of you got 60 perfect at 1,600 scores when they gave that one. Some of you never got a B in your whole life. Now you're here. So let me tell you, I am absolutely unimpressed. (laughs) Okay? You are in the process of death and resurrection. It's when resurrection life reconstitute your ability, you will be useful to the Lord. Until then, just please receive the Lord's perfecting and training and the Lord will gain in you. The element of Christ's resurrection is found only in Christ himself. He himself is resurrection. After experiencing a proper baptism, we continue to grow in and with Christ in the lightness of his resurrection. This is to walk in newness of life. So we're learning to walk in newness of life. Whatever we do, E, we have been joined to him who has been raised from the dead to the resurrected Christ as our husband. This joining indicates that in our new status as a wife, we have an organic union in person, name, life, and existence with Christ in his resurrection. So all of us, in in this sense, have a new name. It's Anastasia. Anastasia. Anastasia, that is resurrection. And we all are married to resurrection. You are Mrs. Resurrection. You are, your husband is resurrection. What a loving husband he is. He's going to care for you. He's going to cherish you. He's going to nourish you. And he's going to make you exactly his counterpart in resurrection. And so resurrection has to have a resurrection wife. That's why the process is going on and eventually it will consummate. He'll have resurrection wife as a new Jerusalem and we will enjoy this wonderful marriage life together. Now, the last point. If the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal body and to our entire tripartite being so that we may carry out God's will to have the body of Christ. So all the verses there are from the first part, Romans 8, then Romans 12, verse 11. If the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that means makes home in you. If you let the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. Now, I'm obviously not young. And I need the energy to work, to travel, to speak. But I'm learning the secret. Before giving a message, no matter what time zone I'm in, whether I'm jet lagged or not, whatever my mood is, to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I will let the spirit of the one who raised Christ Jesus dwell in me. Just dwell in me right now. And you know what he does? He gives life to my mortal body. My body this morning is a mortal body. But it's enlivened. That's why I'm not afraid of getting older. I've got the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwelling in me. He will give life to our mortal body. So that we can carry out God's will To build up the body of Christ. And consummate the new Jerusalem. So this is my word on resurrection. May the Lord bless you all. Every day. Everywhere. With the increase of resurrection life. May the Lord empower all the churches in the Bay Area. With the power of resurrection life. Resurrection life prevails in Northern California. Praise the God of resurrection. Amen. Amen.